This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. What are you, are you stupid? You know, you need to help me <laughs> in. How, why are you alienating people who want to fight the Empire? Yeah. But um, she is a believer in a, in a principle uh, and that, you know, there's something greater than this. We'll never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Hello, and welcome to Beltway Banthas, a Star Wars podcast live from the hive of scum and villainy in our very own galaxy, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Stephen Kent. I'm your other host, Swara Saleh. And this week we bring you an interview with Star Wars author Dan Wallace, the new writer behind The Rebel Files, a comprehensive look at the rebellion and intel during the Galactic Civil War. You might also know him for previous books on the Sith Order and the Jedi and the Jedi Order as well. Really cool, comprehensive books, um, sort of like taken in, in first person as if you are sort of reading books from those orders. Uh, he's written a lot of great stuff, and he spoke with John. Liang uh, of our Beltway Banthas team for this week's episode. So I'm really excited for y'all to hear that. But first, Suara, we got to talk about some crazy stuff that went down on television this week. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, talking about Star Wars Rebels uh, series finale. Yeah, Rebels has finaled. And guys, I don't know what to do because I, you know, I'm a little bit of a Rebel cynic. Like, I've, I've enjoyed the show for the most part. Um, there's been some arcs and some some stories that I've really enjoyed, but this finale was so, so good, in my opinion. It was just one of the best uh, hour, hour and a half, really, of, of Rebels and Star Wars I've seen in a while. Swar, how are you feeling about the way that they capped off Rebels? I'm feeling very much the same way that you are. I think this was nearly a pitch perfect finale that left our characters in such satisfying places and really gave great explanations for why they're not in the original trilogy and um, really harkened down on the bond between the rebels crew, between the ghost crew. And I found it like overall really impactful. And I loved, I, um, I liked the epilogue overall. I, I have a few quibbles with it, but yeah. Talking about the episode, talking about the episode in general, the action, the pacing, the drama, the dialogue, everything was like pitch perfect. I think that yeah. I genuinely see like what friends of mine have told me about Dave Filoni being a master storyteller in here, and I have to agree, they pulled it. He pulled it off extremely well. Yeah, I mean, if he's a master storyteller, he's at least a master storyteller at sort of wrapping it up. You know, like yes, agreed. I mean, because for this, for Rebels, this felt like 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 a small movie i mean so we basically got 90 minutes of new material yeah. uh for the finale and it felt like sitting down to watch a, sh a short star wars movie and in that sense it felt like a great story and then when i look at it was when i look at rebels as a whole i sort of see chaos and disorder um and a lot of Same. a lot of characters and, and, and side plots that just didn't make sense on a week-to-week -week basis but mm -hmm. everything that we saw in this 90 minutes made sense and i was like wow this alone is an incredible story just like a, a two-day look at the liberation of lethal which 
you know, someone pointed out to me on Twitter, like, that's what this series has always been about, the liberation mm-hmm. of Lothal and the force on Lothal. And I feel like now I, I get it. And I guess that that makes the series as a whole worth it. Um, but what was the, your favorite part of this, Swar? Because I, I think you mentioned the epilogue, and I think we should talk about that. Um, I also had something I wanted to identify as well. Yeah, sure. So my favorite part in it, that's actually kind of tough because there was so much I really loved about it. I actually really liked, you know, I've had numerous complaints about Ezra throughout the series and so have a lot of other people, but I feel like he really um, came to the fold, came to the forefront this time. And he actually really did become a hero that he actually did set aside his, uh, any ounce of his selfish desires and really was there for his friends, his planet and his society as a whole. And, I actually really liked Ezra. Um, I also, what else did I like? I mean, I oh, guess yes. I let's, like let's Sabine. Kind of pause, taking, let's pause there. Cause you know, we're just sure. talking about one thing you liked. So, sure. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Like Ezra brought it home and we finally saw the grown up that we sort of wanted to see maybe like an entire studio yes. from Ezra. And it took, I guess, Kanan exiting, which makes me sort of feel like Kanan should have exited the show earlier. If that's what it was going to take. Mm-hmm. For Ezra to grow up now like we saw Ezra uh, sacrifice himself to uh, launch Thrawn into the middle of outer space um, which mm-hmm. sort of puts Thrawn back in the trajectory of his old EU canon right like oh, yeah, totally, Thrawn, yeah. Thrawn was lost in space or something uh, in the EU and then yeah. he came back with the Imperial Remnant and was a powerhouse like oh my gosh, they sort of put him back in that direction. And Ezra also survived, but now we have the explanation for why he's not in the original Star Wars because he jettisoned himself into deep space. Who knows where he is? They're certainly either near or actually in the unknown regions. You know, it just seems to be the farm to which Rebel sends its pets, uh, you know, after, you know, to keep them away from the main plot of Star Wars. But I just want to note that Dave Filoni on the uh, Rebels Recon on the Star Wars show, um, he actually stated that both Thrawn and Ezra did survive. So there are are numerous ways to bring them back. And I really like that. And I, in the way they closed out Ezra's arc, I think was pitch perfect. I think that you can't kill him because this is a kid's show, you know? So that just wasn't going to be an option. B, it's like, it gives him a valid excuse essentially to not be in the original trilogy, to not be one of the last Jedi. He was, he was taken away by uh, Pergils. That's what you call the space whales. And, you know, he focused his efforts on keeping Thrawn out of the loop. You know, someone who is such a dangerous mastermind for the galactic empire. And, I, I, I mean, I, there is, I mean, I guess like maybe it is like slight, not, I don't want to say contrived, but it almost felt too serendipitous, you know, that something like this could happen to keep another main Jedi character out of the main arc. But again, I think it was pulled off really well in a really deep and impactful way. Yeah, I bought it. I bought it 100%. And, you know, I'm trying to think. So other than that, Ezra had a confrontation with the Emperor via hologram. And I love that. I, I got to say, I, I thought it was really, really cool what they did with Palpatine presenting himself as sort of like the the Chancellor in white, 
Uh, and I then, loved and then it. The mask sort of fell off. I was trying to. This reminded me of something else in, in fantasy, and I can't remember quite what I what it's making me think of. It's like it's not like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. It's it's something, mm-hmm. and I, I just couldn't put my finger on it. I think I know what you're talking about. It's sort of that trope of the main villain clouding themselves as, you know, the good person that's actually just trying to help the main hero, but they're just disguising themselves or something like that. But I know what you're talking about. Yeah, no. But I, I, I almost think it is Lord of the Rings, actually. I like, or at least in a Lord of the Rings deleted scene or something, Sauron comes to Aragorn and the guise of, uh, you know, like the. Uh, gift giver he was the elf or something like that but that was in the movie that was a deleted scene but i do know what you're talking yeah, I mean, about it's it's kind of an old archetype you know the the, yeah. the deceiver uh the deceiver rarely presents themselves in the black robe with the snarling teeth and the yellow eyes you know they have to they have to exactly. themselves as a, as a kind and lovable figure um but yes i mean so moving on past that i think i think the last thing is is that epilogue that was mm-hmm sort of like the rebels that I'd been craving, like a a rebels that was driven Mm -hmm. by narration um, and somebody's particular point of view. So like with them narrating at the end with Sabine, it made me feel like, ah, I wish that this had been narrated by Sabine all along. Mm -hmm. um, And that this entire thing was being told from her, her point of view, which I, I guess in a sense, like now it kind of seems like it was, but it doesn't seem like that was what the original design of Rebels was. It, it wasn't. I mean, like, let's be real. For all the praises people put on Dave Filoni, and sometimes he does come out with like such amazing episodes like this and Twilight of the Apprentice, a lot of this is not... I, I can't see it as really being planned out. I can't really see it as him having a specific blueprint for how he wanted to take the series. And I feel like, honestly, like while I have loved a lot of Rebels, most of Rebels, it, it, you mentioned during uh, our intro that a lot of it has felt all over the place and uneven. And I was actually going through a list of uh, all Rebels episodes today. There's something like 75, 76. And I just made a list for myself of the only ones I liked. And I got it down to like six. 60 or 61, which is still a majority, but still like that's 15 episodes of not even filler. Just like there's some really great filler in Rebels, but just not good episodes that you could tell they that that was the worst sort of filler, actually, just trying to like buy up time. And I guess like if they had something like Sabine narrating from the start or another character, another character like Hera, um, that could have been really good. That could have given it some real cohesion, but I definitely don't think there was that much uh, going through the series. And I think it suffered as a result. And just FYI, the series ratings, uh, the season's ratings, season finale ratings, and we saw what happened with the weird scheduling they did. I was looking at uh, the list of episodes, right? The ratings for this season were terrible. Like, down in like uh like the 0.25 uh, million or something, which is like really, really low for any TV show. So yeah, I feel, I, even though I really loved it, I can't help but say that the way this was executed overall was not yeah. in the best way. And yeah. I feel really I'm bad I'm not a about pro that. about how to roll out a show, but when your target audience um, is, you know, headed towards bed on a school night, that doesn't really make sense. That doesn't make a lot of yeah. sense to me. But I, I think that they know that audiences consume these things on their own time now through other means For rather sure. than a live, you know, live run of the show. Um, but I, I think there's the last thing. So, you know, we got that epilogue, they jumped forward to the end of the, 
uh, Galactic Civil War, and they pretty much gave us what the next show is going to be, or one of the many next shows that I think we'll probably see on the Disney streaming platform. Uh, safe to say, Ahsoka mm-hmm. and Sabine are going to the outer reaches to search for Ezra. That that seems to be the premise of whatever they're going to do next, right? I actually don't think so. I mean, I know this sounds weird, but yeah, I don't think so because I I feel like I've expected at this point from Dave Filoni that he can set up things really well, but except in the case of this finale, he doesn't really typically follow up on things. This has actually been my frustration with Rebels overall is that he sets up things really well. Like for example, Malachor and the Sith Holocron, but we never really got a story about it except for the Bendu just like taking it away from him and Kanan and it felt really perfunctory. And I could only imagine um, Ahsoka and Sabine's story looking for Ezra being told in like a book or a comic. I honestly don't see it like a sustaining like a long-term series because what are they going to do? Just like uh, two women like uh, – going from planet to planet, like looking for their lost friend. And then you'll have had to watch rebels. And there seems to be too much like connective tissue that honestly, I mean, no offense to Lucasfilm animation, but I haven't really seen necessarily like that much uh, connective tissue throughout, unless it's like trying to wrap up arcs and clone wars, which honestly for me as a rebels viewer who hadn't seen clone wars before seemed to really degrade the quality of the show sometimes so i actually doubt that's going well to we will find out um Suarez, nice to talk to we'll you just and react to rebels here a little bit we don't do that much on beltway banthas but you know just a lot to be excited about after we finally got a nice cap off product from from rebels so i think it is time for us to turn to john liang and dan wallace how about we do that yeah, let's do it. And I just got to give like a shout out to John, who has just been killing it with these interviews lately. Yeah, truly, truly. Um, so John Liang, uh, Dan Wallace, this is a conversation about the new book, The Rebel Files. Enjoy. Hey, Banthas. We're here with Dan Wallace, author of The Jedi Path, Book of Sith, The Bounty Hunter Code, and Imperial Handbook. Today, we're talking to him about his latest book, Star Wars, The Rebel Files. Welcome to the Bellway Banthas, Dan. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. It's great to talk to you. Great to have you with us. Um, going into Rebel Files, how would you res- how would you describe that book? So the interesting thing about the Rebel Files, um, if anybody's listening to this and they're not that familiar with um, the series, it's actually the continuation of a series. Back in 2010, uh, we did a book. It was called The Jedi Path. Mm-hmm. And the conceit of that book was that there was a, a textbook what if there was a textbook that was handed out at the Jedi Temple in Coruscant and, um, you know, and it was passed down, you know, it was like your, uh, it was like your Jedi 101 right. a textbook, you know, right. and you bought it at the used bookstore. And so that was basically the whole conceit was what would be in a, a Jedi textbook about lightsabers in the force and, and, um, but as if this were an artifact. So not only is this a Jedi textbook, but this is literally the Jedi textbook that, Obi-Wan Kenobi had when he was younger and Anakin Skywalker had it after him and they wrote their you know graffiti almost you know their little marginalia <laughs> in the margins and um so it was it was an interesting thing because it was not only an in-universe um you know it took place in universe but it was as if it were literally the artifact like you were holding 
building the actual textbook. Gotcha. And so that was a kind of the, the, the fun conceit. After that uh, came out in 2010, we did a sequel, well, not really a sequel, but just a continuation of the series was Book of Sith was next for mm-hmm. the dark side. And then that was followed by Bounty Hunter Code, uh, kind of about Boba Fett and so on. Right, and yeah. Imperial Handbook about the Stormtroopers and the Empire. And then um, that was right around the time that Disney acquired uh, Lucasfilm. And so for a bit of time, there was sort of, well, let's just put a pause on all this, <laughs> you know, world building because, you know, there's, we don't know what's going to happen. What is canon, so, what isn't, right? Um, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And so it's been a couple of years. Uh, and so now we're back uh, with another uh, – it's another book in the series mm-hmm. as in I view this as sort of a continuation of the series. Yet at the same time, it's the first book of a new series because mm-hmm. this is the first book that is officially released under the auspices of the Disney Lucasfilm Publishing, uh, meaning that it's all part of the the new canon as opposed to the previous canon. So right. um, that was that, that didn't tell you what it was. <laughs> it just gave the backstory. <laughs> what it is um, is it's a book that is like the Jedi Path. It's an in-universe sort of document, but it is more of a scrapbook. Mm-hmm. It is a repository of different documents and, and important pieces of, of you know memorabilia mm-hmm. from the founding of the Rebel Alliance. So it, it sort of chronicles the years from uh, several years before the Battle of Yavin. So that would be around the time of like Star Wars Rebels, for example. And it goes through Rogue One and A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back. And it sort of winds up uh, around the time of Return of the Jedi. Yet, at the same time, uh, the, the in-universe conceit is that this repository of scrapbook sort of historical documents was lost mm-hmm. for about 30 years. And then it was recovered um, 30 years later and um, around the time of the sequel trilogy. And so there is um, a second narrative in the margins uh, where people like General Leia Organa is commenting and uh admiral haldo and poe dameron that's so cool and uh these these <laughs> kind of characters from the from the sequel trilogy are, are commenting on the, the stuff from the original trilogy so that in a nutshell is what the rebel files is all about is a scrapbook but it has a bit of a, a narrative uh thrust to it oh well i personally love the book um our readers can f- our listeners rather can find my review of your book on the retrozap.com website um, and special thanks to Wonderkin PR for sending me a, a review copy of that book. Um, I understand that when you were putting this book together, you know, because you had to have those, you had those notes with, say, Poe Dameron and and Holdo and everybody else. I guess you had to have early access to the to material, like say, the Last Jedi. What was it like to have that kind of early access? That's always a fun thing to to get that early access, uh, but it's always a, a bit of a mixed bag. Um, for this particular book, um, uh, it just came out recently, and so that was it. Came out at the end of 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, so I uh, back in 2016, late 2016. So I think it was around like October of 2016. I went out to. Uh, Lucasfilm out in San Francisco and uh, (laughs) I went and I read in one very busy day I read the script to Rogue One which had not was a couple of months away from from release Mm -hmm. and I read the script for The Last Jedi which was a year and a couple of months from uh, (laughs) being released because both of those were very important especially Rogue One I mean I I could not have done this book without Rogue One and, and the timeline was just like 
I literally have to know everything about this this thing because it, we're doing a book about the foundation of the Rebel Alliance, and and clearly that standalone movie is is a, a critical piece of, piece of information. But the Last Jedi was important too, and and we did include some Last Jedi. Um, information in the rebel files Mm -hmm. and when it actually was released last fall it was actually released as part of the journey to the last jedi publishing program so that was kind of fun um but going out to read those and i've read uh, you know different scripts not only for star wars but for various movies that i've done uh tie-in books for and it's always this weird experience where you read the script and um and you think like if you read like if you're listening to this and you're like oh if i read the script i'd know everything that's going to happen and what i'm kind of saying is you don't really because like literally the script reading uh, script writing is like one tiny part going back to that thing i was talking about earlier about what if it was a stage play you know Mm -hmm. like writing the script is is like one bit but obviously the performances on stage are very important and 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 the backdrop and what kind of musical accompaniment you have and and the pacing and so on and and i always read the script and and people will be like hey you know what did you think of it and i'd be like We'll see. <laughs> you really don't know how it's going to play out until you see the whole thing. Right. Um, but yeah, it's always, uh, it's always, I mean, I'm certainly not complaining because it's awesome <laughs> to be able to do that kind of thing, but it's always like, um, it's always like, um, okay, let's wait and see, you know, because, mm-hmm. um, when I went down to, for example, when I saw the last Jedi in theaters, you know, there, there were, not only things that played out slightly differently than I thought they would mm-hmm. when I read the story, but there were bits were in there that weren't in the script at all. Really? You know, because it, it was, you know, a whole year and there were minor bits. But right. I mean, it was like, oh, that. Oh, yeah. OK, <laughs> that makes more sense. You know, like there's yeah. just little little um, I don't know, uh, tweaks like that. And so it's it's awesome to do. It's it's fantastic to do. But it's also um I, I will say this. Actually, I, I'm going to uh, go out on a limb, and I know people are going to listen and be like, ugh, please. You know, right? <laughs> but but I did not – I read the script for all the Star Wars movies from The Phantom Menace on, mm, wow. uh, with the exception of uh, The Force Awakens. I did not read The Force Awakens script before the movie came out. It was the only movie since 1999 that I have not read the <laughs> script in advance. And when I went to see The Force Awakens, it was a really cool experience because there's something to be said. And I know everybody's going to cry a million tears for me. Oh, poor you. You have to read the script in advance. <laughs> but there is something to be said for not knowing what's going to happen. And you're sitting in the theater and you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. This is awesome. And, and right. I had so much fun at The Force Awakens. And and, um, and when you do read a story in advance, to some degree that surprise and delight is lessened. But Again, the world's smallest violin is playing for me right now. So. <laughs> That's one of the interesting things is that, um, particularly your visit to Lucasfilm, is that I'm, when I, I've always heard from people who've been able to get the ch- gotten the chance to go, it is kind of like a pilgrimage to like Lourdes or Mecca or that kind of thing, where they finally get to see all, all like where the magic is happens. Um, a, what was that visit like? And B, what's it like to actually work with the Lucasfilm Story Group? Uh, the, the whole Lucasfilm headquarters is really a, a amazing place. Um, uh, you know, it used to be Skywalker Ranch uh, back in the day, but uh, most recently uh, it's more in, in San Francisco proper, uh, the Presidio, um, which is just a, a beautiful place. And, and um, the bill, I'm just, I'm always so impressed by the, the, the you know, your 
it's very exciting to walk through those halls because for two reasons. One is it's a beautiful space because I, I'm kind of I, I like architecture and, mm-hmm. and like a design and so oh, on. Yeah. And it's like all this, um, you know, like you go in a conference room and it's like these vaulted ceilings and, and the, the walls are all this, you know, wood um, and, and it's, you know, beautifully naturalistic and so on. And then there's these paintings hanging on the wall and there's like um, it, it's very uh, it's a beautiful space. Um, and then the things that are hanging on the wall would be like. Uh, either old vintage movie posters from like, you know, Bella Lugosi and Dracula or something, or they will be like um, old weird Star Wars memorabilia and so on. And particularly as you start to wander around the bowels of the <laughs> headquarters, you walk <laughs> by these glass cases and you're like, what is that? And it's like, um, it might be a Star Wars thing or it might be just like, you know, like, what is this? And you kind of like poke around and you're like, oh, it's the flight helmets from red tails or, oh, you know, just these, these things where you're, you're like, um, well, this is where memory movie memorabilia winds up, you know, yeah, yeah. It, it ends up here, you know, here, like it's basically a, a walking museum. So that was the experience of walking around in the space, but working at the Lucasfilm story group is, is always really great. I mean, um, they, uh, are the keepers of the flame. Um, a lot of times, uh, like on these books that I've been working with, I've had the same editor since 2010, Delia Grieve over at Becker and Mayer. So she is very involved in, in scripting these things and kind of championing, 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 <laughs> I don't know, sounded so weird, um, with, uh, with Lucasfilm and with the story group. Um, and I, and uh, their involvement is, you know, a lot of just steering the course. You know, are are we on, are we on the right path? You know, do we have to change something? Do we have to remove a reference because they have a project in the works? Um, should we include uh, an extra reference that I hadn't thought of because mm-hmm. they have something in the works that they would like to reference? And, gotcha. Um, you know, and that's fun. I mean, a lot of the people that uh, are, you know, people like uh, Pablo Hidalgo or, or Leland Chi over at the story group are, you know, kind of the same, uh, era as myself, you know, they kind of came up through the ranks, uh, almost like a, you know, I feel a little simpatico with them just because they're from the same era of fandom. So I always feel like a little bit, like I kind of know, like how they might react to something. So mm-hmm. like, I, hopefully, uh, I try to craft stuff so that it doesn't have huge re-edits and, uh, and knock on wood, uh, most of the time it doesn't, but, uh, but yeah, it's good. The, the, like I said, they're the keepers of the flame and, uh, my job is to, um, you know, deliver a flame that's, that's not too, uh, you know, not too weird, I guess. Well, you did very well as far as I'm concerned. So, <laughs> um, specifically sp- speaking about the book and how, and your writing process, how did you go about putting it together? Did you just, just like follow the original trilogy timeline, like a, a New Hope, Empire, and then Ret- Return of the Jedi, or did you just sort of like put add, add stuff here and there, jump around a bit, and then put it all together afterwards? Yeah, it was it was very set up by um, chronology. So I was it, again, to, it's a scrapbook of important documents from the foundation of the Rebel Alliance. So that was kind of the original idea, and that was kind of my editor Delia um, had that idea, like. It could be like a scrapbook, which we haven't really done in the previous uh, books in the series. They've been a little bit more, um, you know, like the Jedi Path was more of a textbook. So it had chapters and so on, but it was like a complete uh, narrative. This is very much like snippet, snippet, snippet. It's, it's a memo. 
uh, you know, top secret document, uh, newspaper headline, um, you know, uh, excerpt from a, a magazine profile, like these kind of things. Right. Uh, Mon Mothma's diary entries. And, and these are just and they're all interspersed. So there might be, you know, two or three or four different things on, on a page. Um, yeah. But so to make it make sense. Uh, we had to make it sort of chronological. So uh, it kind of picks up in an indeterminate time before A New Hope, like uh, several years at least, although some of the uh, documents in there are a little bit older. Um, but then once it kind of introduces that, it kind of goes chronologically. So it starts to talk about, you know, Mon Mothma and Saul Guerrera and, and uh, Rogue One and Rebels and the, that sort of time frame. And then it goes through Rogue One and the Death Star plans. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then the, the post stuff. So it, it is very chronological and uh, that helps to tell a story because it's not a novel, mm-hmm. but uh, it's a collection of found objects and newspaper headlines and so on. But I, I did want to, I did want to make the book feel like it was telling a story between the lines. So as you yeah. sort of read it, and you're you're seeing these developments in the news, uh, which are what the headlines are, and you're sort of reading the memos and the, you know Mon Mothma's journal entries and so on, and it's sort of conveying a mood, you know, like it kind of there's these ups and downs as the rebellion is kind of pushed on the ropes and as they have victories and so on, and um, uh, hopefully um, the book feels not like a grab bag, but feels like. Um, a larger story told from smaller objects. Got it. One of the things I like about the book, about the uh, Rebel Files, is that it has a lot of references throughout the book, not just to the movies, but also the new the new canon books, the comics, etc. Like one for me, one of the particularly stands out is there's a reference to the Leia comic book and her effort to rescue some of the Alderaan Alderaanian diaspora. So, which sort of leads me to a question: How much of a, of a real Star Wars nerd are you? Like, do you read all the comics, all the books, or that kind of thing, or? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm probably one of the biggest. You know? <laughs> I really do try to to read all that stuff. And, and it helps because, you know, I, I um, have been a, a real Star Wars nerd for so long because, I mean, even before the Disney thing in the in the previous uh, expanded universe, I, I, you know, I was writing books like The Essential Guide to Droids and right. The Essential Atlas and The Essential Guide to Characters and so on. And um, and so I really got to understand all that that minutia and be like, oh, yeah, but they have a new canon. Right. So all that stuff is out the window. And it's like, not really, you know, like maybe maybe 10 percent of that stuff is is out the window, Mm -hmm. you know, because um, all the stuff that I, 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 you know, I used to work in um, previously, uh, it's most of it is still there, you know, like, um, you know, if I was doing the essential guide to droids and we're talking about you know, the B2 super battle droid, you know, like, um, that's not any different, you know, like, like <laughs> it's still a part of new, you know, like the, the description and stuff is still part of that. And so, um, that carries over. And then, um, so I can still draw on that, I guess is what I'm saying. I can still draw on that vast, uh, uh you know, repository of, of previous lore um and not when it's story influence obviously i'm not going to reference jason solo or something like that but I, <laughs> I, you know if we're talking about you know what planet does greedo come from well you know it's going to be rhodia you know of course it's going to be it's not going to change um but then i also try to keep up on the on the new stuff and you know like mm-hmm. whether it's uh, princess leia and talking about uh, rescuing the Alderanian refugees or um 
you know, I, there was a bit in the Rebel Files where I was sort of looking for, you know, what kind of important story should we cover? And um, in the new Marvel Star Wars comic, there, I think it was the first annual they released. And the story was um, the Rebels find out that uh, Imperial Senators, um, you know, after the dissolution of the Imperial Senate, a lot of them were locked up in, in a prison. Uh, and right. Leia is like tries to rescue him, and the mission goes very badly, and a lot and they all die basically. <laughs> um, but I, I, I was like, that seemed like a really interesting moment, and it, it, it features in the Rebel Files because um, I just looked at it and I was like thinking to myself, well, Leia just literally lost her mom and her dad and her entire planet, you right. know. Um, yeah. Like that would be the most devastating thing that anybody could ever go through. And so then she kind of latches onto this. Well, at least she has these people that she used to work with in the Imperial Senate. They were probably her friends and the people that she was most politically uh, sympathetic with. And they're all locked up. And so, you know, I owe it to them to, to help rescue them. They all die again. And I was just like, that. it's got to be the most devastating experience that, that you can experience. And yeah. so um, it was it was just trying to find those things and, and, and come up with a, a little bit of a narrative and so on. Um uh, that, yeah, I just, I guess I did, just didn't want it to feel like it was entirely a recitation of facts that, mm -hmm. um, these are the stories of people and the people are going to have good days and bad days and, and, uh, ups and downs and, and, uh, uh, you know, the history is told through the story of, of people and the same thing is true for the rebel alliance. That's true. Yeah. One of my favorite tidbits in the book was like the Poe's note in the memo from General Medine to Mon Mothma about the commandos that... Uh, Medin rec was recommending sending to attack the Endor shield complex, and there's you know, uh, Poe finds and says, Hey, that's my dad, you know, or, or you know, <laughs> Leah's note in the crate base memo. What was your favorite tidbit to include? Yeah, there are a lot of bits like that that were kind of fun. I mean, I mean, you mentioned the Poe Dameron thing, and that was kind of fun because you know, um, uh, usually the way that these work is I write the main body of, of the book, the main narrative, and then I go back. And I, I add the sort of commentary from, um, you know, the other other authors and say, well, what would, um, you know, what would Akbar comment on and, and what would Leia comment on and what would Poe Dameron comment on? And they're mm -hmm. very different things. Uh, in the case of Poe Dameron, it, it was fun, you know, like there's that bit where he's talking about, you know, his, his dad and, and his mom <laughs> who were part of the Rebel Alliance. But also I, I figured like, you know, he would be a, a big rogue squadron fanboy you know like right. he would go he would be very interested in in you know the death star trench run and and the uh, snow speeder attack on the adats and the echo base um and, and in the battle of endor and he would have opinions about that and he would be really like enthusiastic about it mm -hmm. but i also figured like you know he would he would also be like yeah, I could do that. You know, like, like he would really look up to those people, but not like in a sense, like they're so much better than me, but right. like, yeah, these are my people, you know, like game recognized game, you know, like these, <laughs> I, I could, I could fly with these guys, you know? And so a little, I, I tried to make a little of that come through too. Like he, he he's got a little uh, cocky uh, arrogance, but it, in a, in a good way, you know, like uh, in a, in an endearing way. So it's always fun to, to add those, those, little bits and and uh try to capture the personality of the writer so um you know and there's just a lot of that like with akbar you know he sounds very different than poe and, and yep, yep. is going to sound very different than akbar and and uh <laughs> and you only have a sentence or two in which to do it so um sometimes that's a a, a bit of a 
a challenge, but I really enjoyed it. That's awesome. One of the things I really that really stood out to me was that um, my day job is I cover the government. I'm a journalist by day, and I cover the the, the U.S. government. I cover specifically the Pentagon, and our bread and butter are basically like internal, you know, DOD memos that are written where they're going, okay, we're gonna transfer X amount of billions of dollars from say this warship to this cannon or to this fighter aircraft or to whatever. And then we find out, we get those memos, and we write about them, and you'll see there's a lot of minutia in those memos about how, you know, the government works, like all the internal deal-making and that kind of thing. What Are, the, are there any examples of, like, of like real-life, uh, what examples from real life did you take uh, to you to bring into the book? Yeah, like, to what you're talking about, like, I did, um, I found, like, sort of an archive of, of sort of declassified government memos from like the 50s through the 70s or something like that. And I remember reading through a bunch of them so I could kind of capture the tone and, uh, you know, what is what a military uh, communication sound like and what kind of, you know, uh, you know, governmental budget memo might sound like and so on. And and um, and they're different in that, um, you know, a government is made up of a lot of different uh, functionaries mm-hmm. and and. Uh, in reading that, like the Alliance, uh, for example, Rebel Alliance has like a, a minister of finance, you know, yeah. and so it's like, OK, well, what would a minister of finance be concerned about? And so there's a bit in the Rebel Files where uh, the Alliance minister of finance sends a memo to Mon Mothma and, and he's super uh, worked up uh, about the battle of the alliance's defeat in the battle of Hoth. Oh, the iron not, cannon, right. N- not because, not because they uh, lost the battle so much and all these people died, but because they had this giant iron cannon that was obviously very valuable that they obviously couldn't dismantle and, and make it modular and leave with. And they lost a lot of money in that. And it was a, a, exactly the kind of thing where, you know, forest for the trees kind of thing. Like if that's the only thing that you're concerned with, then you're just going to focus on that. And the guy's kind of a real jerk in this memo, but it was like, yeah, there's people who are going to be like that, you know, that, and Mon Mothma, who, if anything, the rebel files is sort of a a story of Mon Mothma. Mm -hmm. Um, she's going to have to deal with people like that and, uh, the empire and, uh, you know, just, there's so many, um, sort of slings and arrows being uh, launched in her direction at any one time, and she has to rise above it. Gotcha. Okay, so now for the ultimately ultimate political question. <laughs> um, what, who do you think would have written, like, the Constitution of the New Republic, or, like, once they once they defeated um, the Empire, or the, the Galactic Constitution, whatever they wanted to call it? Do you think it would have been uh, Mon Mothma? Who, would she have done the first draft? And who would have maybe provided input into it? That's a good question. I mean, um, I have to say, definitely Mon Mothma would have, you know, had Bail Organa uh, survived uh, Alderaan, oh, yeah. I feel like he, he would have he would have had a role in it. Poor I'm Bale. sure, uh, therefore, I'm sure that, that, that Leia would have had a, a, some role in it. I think it would mostly would have come from Mon Mothma, and, um, and I think she's an interesting case in that, um, uh, and this is something I, I kind of, you know, thought about a lot when I was writing the book, is that um, she's a leader of the Rebel Alliance, but she's not a military person. She doesn't come up through the ranks. She didn't serve in the military. She's not a general. She's um, she's a senator. She's a politician. She's a diplomat. But she's also the commander in chief of the Alliance military. So she can tell Admiral Akbar, you have to do the following. She can tell General Maydean or General Draven, you have to do the following. Um, but 
Um, she's not a, a military person. And so I just felt like her priorities would be slightly different in that um, she's going to use the the military, the alliance military to defeat the empire because she has to. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's not going to take any pleasure in it at all. Um, and she's going to seek every opportunity to solve problems where you don't have to to do it through force. Um, and in the expanded universe, the new canon expanded universe, um, after uh, Return of the Jedi, um, according to the new the new storyline, basically what happens is is the and we don't get into this in the Rebel Files because there's a time gap. Yeah. But in the official storyline, um, after Return of the Jedi, there's a new Republic is sort of founded, um, and they end up dismantling their military, right. basically, and that's why uh, the Force Awakens happens because the uh, New Republic has no military to speak of. And then all of a sudden, the First Order comes out, and they're like, whoa, where did these guys come from? And they have nobody to fight them except uh, Leia, who forms the, the Resistance. And so um, I thought a little bit about that, even though we didn't get into it, which was just, um, you know, from a constitutional standpoint, um, I feel like Mon Mothma would try to set things up and, and give more power to uh, in, uh, decentralize the power structure, mm-hmm. you know, and give it out to the systems and, and the sectors and so on. Uh, and therefore, um, not try to hang on to that military, uh, because that was what led to the empire. Uh, and ultimately, obviously it kind of backfired, uh, as we know, but mm-hmm. she wouldn't have known that. And I think what, um, that sort of decision, uh, to sort of structure the government in that way with a decentralized power structure and, uh, you know, not much of a mili- centralized military at all um, made sense for her character. Mm-hmm. And I think the Rebel Files kind of uh, sets up why, uh, why why it does. Gotcha. It's real, always really interesting to me because, you know, on one, on one hand, you've got, like, the bureaucracy, which she's running, which is, you know, just, like, the day-to-day stuff. And at the other on the other hand, she's also got to – she has to basically set up the, the underpinnings of that government, like, what, the gov- what that government stands for. You know, basically, like, what the founding fathers of the U.S. had to do when, you know, they met in Philadelphia is, is okay, what, what are, our, what are our, our number of, like, say, the ten, you know – Ten main things we want to stick to, and then the Bill of Rights, and then what else to add to beyond that. And so I'm wondering, how do you think she would have organized that Constitution? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, um, you know, you do see a little bit of of like what you know, what does she believe in, and and what kind of a government would the because the Rebel Alliance isn't really government, you right. know, in the military. It's it's an insurgent force. It's you know, paramilitary sort of force, and. And pretty much all it's doing is fighting battles. Um, and so you never really see it governing anything. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what happens with the, the New Republic later on. But um, but Mon Mothma is a politician. And so she's coming up with this this governmental this structure. And, and there's a little bit of that in this book as well, like where she's kind of like trying to juggle those, those two things and those two worlds um, and uh, trying to help it make sense. Um, uh, so like in, in sort of drafting like a Bill of Rights or something like that, um, I think the most uh, illuminating thing that we know from the existing canon might be, you know, like Rogue One, for example, or, mm-hmm. or Rebels, maybe a little bit, where you see sort of, um, you know, like a Saw Gerrera or something with the, yeah. with his movement, where 
this extremism and it's like, hey, like, I don't think Sagarera has any plan for governing at all. You know, it's just <laughs> like we just need to burn it all down. Right. And then after that, well, who the hell cares? You know, and, and, and uh, I think that's a real difference in there is that I think Bon Mothma is very concerned with, um, you know, we can't do that. It's, it's not going to help. Um, we have to replace it with something and we have to have a structure in place. And she's thinking a lot about, uh, you know, how do you how do you maintain power uh, wisely? Because mm-hmm. it's a weird position where you have this uh, emperor who's in charge of the entire galaxy and he's a dictator. And, you know, and then you have uh, basically Mon Mothma is the leader of the opposition and, and she's trying right. to overthrow him. But she doesn't want to install herself as the leader of the, of the galaxy, you know. And so it's like I think she would just be a find the idea abhorrent so she has to like that's where the decentralization of power comes in and and like i'm not going to be like the empire i'm going to be the opposite of the empire uh including uh not having a centralized military and so i think that the you know the 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 you know articles of of confederation or or whatever is in there would be very much about uh you know uh, power is held by by many hands and and so on um and the exact inverse, you know, uh, you know, photo negative version of what the empire ends up being, uh, with the irony being that um, uh, with the new sequel trilogy, the uh, First Order comes in and kind of exploits. <laughs> they exploit exactly that, you know. It's like yeah. uh, we weren't done yet, um, but nobody knew that, and they couldn't have known that. And I, I don't think that's an indictment of. Uh, of uh, her character or her her thought as to um, how to structure a government, it's just one of those one of those script writing things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious. Um, did you get a, have you had a chance to read uh, Claudia Gray's Bloodline? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's good. I I, I like it when uh, it, you can kind of get into that uh, political exploration of of how something like this might work and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? What would a representative Senate be like, and and you know who would, uh, who would the you know the different factions be, and so on. So yeah, I think it's I think it's a really illuminating and a, a good book for people to read, uh, try to understand uh, uh, galactic politics in a way. Do you think? I'm just out of curiosity. Do you think that the centrists and the populists would have sprouted up immediately, or do you think it would have taken time before they got to where, like, because obviously um, bloodline happens several a good number of years later on. Um, but after the after the, the events of Return of the Jedi, and once once uh, the the new constitution is established, how long do you think before the, uh, some of those divisions would have you know popped up? Um, I don't. You know, it's a good question. I, 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 I. I on the one hand, I'm, I want to say like immediately because I think people always have like their faction. You know, like they right. they, they believe this in their heart of hearts and. You know, that's always going to be the case. But I also think that there is, uh, to some degree, a, um, you know, honeymoon period where um, uh, either there's just, you know, like I said, like a honeymoon period or there's just like there's the the mood isn't right. You know, people kind of keep their people kind of keep their instincts in check and they're like, you know what, I I believe this, but I'm going to do the. I can do the other thing in the interest of compromise and right. I'm going to work together and so on. And then it's almost harder to describe, you know, I mean, we see it all around us in real life all the time, but 
for some reason they're like a switch flips almost and all of a sudden people are just like i'm not gonna cooperate anymore you know right. like this is it you know i'm i am gonna be here and i'm gonna draw build a wall or a chasm and i'm never going across the aisle <laughs> and uh and it's probably you know the worst now well i don't know it's pretty bad now but yeah. um and it's hard to exactly trace like when did that happen you know because people are capable of 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 you know, uh, going across that line, and and for some reason there just be, something will happen or uh, something, um, you know, uh, and nobody really changed their their point of view. People right. still believe what they believe, but um, the the idea of, uh, of you know cross aisle uh, compromise or, or collaboration or uh, that's really what an alliance is. You know, mm-hmm. like Rebel Alliance, it, it's not a a single thing. It's a group of that's what the whole term means is disparate people, individual yeah. re- rebel cells that yeah. were, you know, uh, united and, and trying to work for a common cause. And that's why it's called the rebel Alliance. And, and, uh, uh, and then, it, you know, you look at somebody like Saw Guerrero's faction, they're like, you know what? I'm done. I'm not right. going to uh, play ball with you guys anymore. Um, I'm done. And that, um, so they're not in the Alliance anymore, you know? And I, I wish I knew exactly why that happens. And sometimes, uh, everybody can kind of, you know, put things aside and, and all row in the same direction. And, and sometimes they just throw the oars in the water and they set the boat on fire. Yeah. It's interesting. Just sort of go, going back to like say rebels. And then you had that, there was a one piece in the book about um, the, the, the motion of censure against Saw Gerrera. And it, it, it's sort of interesting, interesting to see that how like, okay, we're going to have this alliance of dis- disparate people and people from different uh, uh, backgrounds and outlooks and opinions um, and we've got a basically a, like a general idea of where we want to go, but there's a, up to a certain limit. And obviously, uh, Saw Guerrero went beyond that limit. But there's, I'm sure there's a lot of other people, a lot of a lot of other factions and and rebel cells who might have been just maybe not going over there, but maybe just hitting to that very very uh, mm-hmm. edge of that. And I'm wondering like. And so that's what well, I found that, that that piece the interesting bit in the in Rebel Files where you had you actually wrote out wrote out the that the motion of censure that Mon Mothma put out. Yeah, that was an interesting actually a uh, bit of trivia on that. That was actually the very very last thing we wrote for the book because really? uh, right around um, if you if you read the book um, there's a bit you know the, this motion of censure where where Mon Mothma is like you know. Uh, Saw Guerrero's partisans are, are, you know, excommunicated basically from the Rebel Alliance. Um, but it happens right around the time, I think, on the same page or, or near near there. Uh, there's a bit where a Rebel scout is sort of uh, sends a note to Mon Mothma and they're like, hey, we have this base on um, the salt planet of Crete, uh, you know, and, and we have, you know, we have to abandon and da, 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 da. And it's about the, you know, the last Jedi on the base on Crete. Mm-hmm. And originally it was a lot longer. The bit, you know, I had a, you know, two, three times uh, the content on that. Oh God, I would have read that. <laughs> um, and it was, it was kind of cool. You know, it was just kind of fun. I would have totally but read that. like, hey, we can, we can, you know, hey, we're doing a, a book about the rebel alliance and it's going to come out you know as part of journey to the last jedi so that makes sense let's talk about crate but um at some point when it was being evaluated right before it was ready to be you know sent to the printer almost mm-hmm. uh lucasfilm was kind of like i don't know maybe we shouldn't get into so much detail on crate and just kind of like cold feet like we didn't want to spoil anything and yeah. so on and so they ended up we ended up cutting most of it out and then it, we had a big gap in the book <laughs> it's like oh yeah fill it with something and it ended up being that motion of, of censure from mon mm. mothma for sagara's partisans which was i thought 
I was actually uh, uh, glad that it worked out that way because um, I thought that was an inter- interesting piece. Like you said, um, there's probably other factions that might have been uh, right up there or maybe even worse or, you know, or very close or something like that. Yeah. But I just felt like it was a little different with this one because, you know, Mon Mothman and Sagarera had a history. Like they knew each other. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they knew each other. Like it was personal. Like they, it was it you know for her to issue this uh motion of censure and just say i'm washing my hands of you and your kind um it just felt very personal to me like it wasn't just that she was finding this extremist rebel cell it was like uh, somebody that she knew that she had you know eaten dinner with you know like and it's like i'm done with you and it must have been so hard because at this point the empire is such an overwhelming military force. It's like, well, you need all the help you can get. Right. And I think that's the thing. Like people would be like, what are you, are you stupid? You know, you need all the help <laughs> you get. How, why are you alienating people who want to fight the empire? Yeah. But, um, she is a believer in a, in a principle, uh, and that, you know, there's something greater than this and we have to, uh, we have to set ourselves up as examples. We have to, to rise above this and, um, and Saul's not going to do that because he's, you know, ends justify the means. And I, I'm not that person. I'm not ends justify the means. I'm not going to be the next Palpatine, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I thought that was really, um, an interesting, uh, part of her character, an admirable part of her character. And, and so I was glad we put that in there because I felt it really did delineate that sort of line between different types of rebels and, and why, um, you know, uh, why is sort of almost a mini uh, rumination on extremism or, yeah. or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I would imagine it would have uh, also acted as a deterrent for any other factions that may have thought, oh, should we, that, at least to keep them in check, you'd think. That's actually a really good point. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. Yeah, that, would, that could have been another uh, point of view on that, that um, – you know, maybe by making such a, a, a public showing of this, um, I think in my mother's view that yes, it would help keep other ones in check, but it would all, and and it would also um, show other other things like um, other other planetary governments that she's trying to um, you know sway to the rebel side and and just people, you know, the citizenry uh, that hey, these guys are actually. You know, they, they stand for something. They they're, they uh, they have principles. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that, um, you know, for somebody like the rebels, as we see it, like for Leia as well, but like the rebels, as we see them in the movies, with the exception of Rogue One, where it gets a little murkier. But mm. in, the, in the classic trilogy, the rebels, as we see them in the movies, are, are very, they're righteous. You know, they have they have that uh, flame of, of uh, true believers. And, yep, uh, yep. and I, I think that's a big part of... Uh, I was trying to carry that torch, I guess, in this book. Well, you did very well. This this book is really awesome. Um, the, my understanding is that the regular hardback book will be available for purchase on July 3rd. Now, the, what's out right now is the deluxe edition, and it's got a whole bu- a bunch. It's out for, I think, $80, um, but it has a whole bunch of cool removable extras. Can you talk something about talk about some of those extras? Yeah, the um, so just to, to reiterate um, how this works, this has been the same with all these other ones that I was talking about earlier, oh, like right. the Jedi Path and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we've always done with these books is we've released a 
deluxe edition and then you know uh, six to you know eight months later uh we released the trade edition which is just the book but the deluxe edition which is out right now for rebel files um comes in a special case uh so for the rebel files it comes in this this um this uh, you know plastic sort of case uh it looks like a, a strong box or a lock box and it has a rebel alliance insignia on it and it looks like a movie prop almost it looks very much like it, it came out of the star wars universe and so you 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 um you know unlatch it and open it up and the book is on the right hand side and then on the left hand side there's a um a little um mechanism and you push a button and uh a little panel sort of flips up slowly and then opposite the panel a little arm a mechanical arm sort of you know rises and it makes a little noise (laughs) and then once it's in position um the little mechanical arm has a little projector at at the tip of it and when it's uh, all the way extended, it goes and it makes a little noise and it, and it projects a little wireframe uh, image of the Death Star oh. uh, on the little thing. And it, it's really cool. I, I, you know, <laughs> that is so cool. Look it up on YouTube or something like that. It, it's <laughs> super cool. And it's just it's really, really fun and, and amazing. Um, <laughs> and it, it's it, all the other books have done something like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's uh, that's kind of the appeal of the deluxe editions. It's it's partly for readers, but it's also partly for collectors. If you want mm-hmm. to feel like you have an artifact from the Star Wars universe, uh, you can feel like that. Um, and then within the book, uh, to get to your original question, um, there are some extras in the book itself. Um, in the deluxe edition, in the very back, uh, there is sort of a accordion pockets mm-hmm. you know like in a in a accordion file oh, right. you know sort of thing and and you can pull these things out and so there's some removables um one of them is um lando calrissian's uh, induction papers into the rebel alliance Ooh. uh you know when he joined the rebels before the battle of endor mm-hmm. uh and then one of them is uh jin urso's um arrest record uh from you know before uh she was rescued in rogue one and in the imperial prison colony mm-hmm. uh one of them is a this is fun but it's sort of a, a kuat drive yards is this imperial ship manufacturer. yeah yeah they make the uh, you know star destroyers and um i kind of wrote this little brochure it's like a, a sales brochure oh, like man. for rich investors who are visiting kuat drive yards um you know, welcome, enjoy your stay, you know, and it's very <laughs> like a sales brochure about, uh, you know, how awesome they are and so on. And then the final one was maybe my favorite was, um, uh, it's a, uh, evacuation checklist, um, uh, for, uh, Yavin four. So like after the death star, they destroy the death star, the rebels obviously leave mm-hmm. because they don't want to be around when the empire shows up again. Uh, and so there, I, I had this idea that, um, you know, there would be crew chiefs in charge of uh, evacuating Yavin 4, and they were running around and, like, making sure, like, everything was tagged and, uh, you know, making it out of the transports. And so this is, like, a little checklist of all the things that have to be evacuated and, you know, priority one, priority two. And, right. you know, if we have time, we'll get to these other things. And these <laughs> other things, we can't move them, so we're just going to leave them behind. And, and it was just kind of fun. So there, these are all... Uh, fun little extras in the deluxe edition in addition to that, that special case but if you're the kind of reader who you really uh, you know you don't you're not a collector or you, you don't want the props so much mm-hmm. but you really just want to read the story on its own uh, as you said there will be a book only version coming out uh, very soon uh, what did you say it was july I think, yeah, july 3rd according to amazon 3rd. and uh, barnes and noble yeah 
Yep. <laughs> seriously, I mean, I, I, I would have, I totally geek out over that Kua Drive Yards um, brochure because I'm kind of an Imperial Star Destroyer geek. But <laughs> <laughs> that checklist sounds really interesting. I, w- I imagine they must have uh, updated it for when they were evacuating, you know, the Resistance space uh, at the beginning of uh, the Last Jedi, and they probably had to use something to do that, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, it's it's a lot of this stuff too. Is is writing the stuff is, is I want it to feel like it's it's Star Wars centric. So it's all you know talking about you know what we know of the Star Wars universe, but also that it feels real. Like I said earlier, like when I'm writing these memos, I try to find like declassified government documents and uh, you know that even that motion of censure. I was like, mm-hmm. well, you know how how do that's a real thing, you know? Um, how how is that usually written? Uh, and then for like. Um, uh, for the evacuation checklist, I uh, was like uh, researching, like um, you know, if there's a, a government embassy that is overrun, um, <laughs> yeah. there are procedures Absolutely. for doing that kind there of thing, are, right. and uh, you need to uh, evacuate the ambassador first, and then you need to ambassador ambassador's files. Like there's there is this this kind of thing, and so I, I was trying to um, learn as much as I could about the protocols, and then how would those kind of things. Uh, transfer over into you know Star Wars galaxy and and so yeah hopefully hopefully there's a verisimilitude uh, to these these things yeah that's true I mean I grew up abroad because of my father's job like outside the U S like in Central America and the Middle East as well as the U S and whenever we lived abroad I had friends who were you know, whose parents you know worked at the U S embassy or various foreign embassies and they all had their own little checklists like and you know this was in the Middle East and in Central America where you know if something happens like you know there's you know, um, an incident like a coup d'état or a bombing or whatever. This is where you go. They would they would have like they would have like a, a thing on the door saying it's kind of like a like a fire alarm plan like in a hotel. This is what you do A B C and D. So that that sounds really really very uh, realistic in that sense. Yeah, this, yeah. This has been great. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Um, are there any upcoming projects you'd like to plug? The next book that I have coming out is not a Star Wars book, but um, it's. Uh, you know february now and so um in march i have a book coming out uh for the new movie pacific rim uprising so Mm. it's a sequel to pacific rim yeah stars john boyega from the new star wars movies Mm -hmm. um and uh i have a book coming out it's called the art and making of pacific rim uprising so it's literally it's all about the movie i interviewed all the actors and and the special effects people and the concept artists and and the directors and the script writers and and all that i interviewed you know dozens of people and and really got into it and uh and it's just packed with really 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 cool artwork so keep an eye out for that um it's coming out a few days before the movie which is uh coming out in i think the third week of march yeah yeah all right Cool. Well, this has been so wonderful. Thank you so much for coming out with us. Um, where can people find you online, like on Twitter or Instagram, online, like a website, whatever? Sure. I mean, I'm a, I'm online. Um, you know, you can look me up, look up Daniel Wallace on on you know Twitter or Instagram or something like that. I I, I have posted less and less on social media in recent <laughs> years just because it's just become less and less fun for me but that does not mean i I have withdrawn from it i I sort of lurk uh intermittently 
Um, if you look me up, on, so here's what I'm saying. If you look me up on on uh, Twitter, or any or Facebook or whatever, uh, follow me, uh, send me a DM, uh, and then I will be happy to uh, you know address any any questions or uh, answer any fan uh, concerns or, or questions or something like that. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I, don't, I don't tend to post a whole lot anymore. But um, but I am not hard to find. Cool. And as for myself, I can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Juan John Jedi. That's J-U-A-N-J-O-H-N-J-E-D-I. Once again, Dan, thanks so much for being on the Bellway Banthas with us. I had a great time. Thanks for having me. And now back to you, uh, Stephen Iswara. Thanks so much, John Liang. This has been a discussion between Beltway Banthas and Star Wars author Dan Wallace. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Beltway Banthas. If you did, please leave us a thought, review, a couple of stars on Apple Podcasts. Uh, You can also catch us on Zencaster and Spotify if that is where you get your podcasts. Follow us at Beltway Banthas on Twitter and shoot us an email with what you thought about the show, what you'd like to see in future episodes, and maybe just an email you'd like read on the show at beltwaybanthas at gmail.com we'll be back next week with more on the politics of the last jedi until then may the force be with you always